I'll have to admit, it's a little tricky getting dressed on this Super Bowl Sunday, choosing an outfit. <laughs> I had a little red and blue thing going, but I didn't want that to get misinterpreted as some kind of allegiance to a certain team. <laughs> I had a nice green tie hanging in my closet, but I figured that would just make everybody mad at me. So <laughs> I went with a classic safe black and gray combo, okay? <laughs> And for those of you who are tired of all the football talk, that's the last you'll hear of it in this sermon, okay? We'll just get it out of the way at the beginning. Well, as we promised on week one of this series, we're going to come back on this final Sunday to the Star Wars film, The Last Jedi. I've given you plenty of time to see it. It's still hanging around in a few theaters. Uh, I don't think I'm going to give any big spoilers away here, but I do want to dig a little deeper into one of the storylines in the film. And it has to do with the young heroine, Ray. Now, when we first meet her, we, we don't, don't, don't know a lot about her. When we first met her, she's living in a rusted-out ship on an out-of-the-way planet called Jakku. She makes a living by scavenging engine parts and trading them for food and supplies. She has no family to speak of, her parents having mysteriously died or disappeared. And for Star Wars fans, this is one of the big reveals of the film. Who is Rey? Where does she come from? Who were her parents? And why is the Force with her in some powerful way? Well, for reasons she can't fully understand, Rey gets swept up into this great galactic conflict between the Dark First Order and the floundering resistance movement. She finds her way to Luke Skywalker, the last of the known Jedi Knights, and urges him to join the fight. And as the story unfolds and as things begin to heat up, Ray realizes that there's something bigger going on here. And at one point, she turns to Skywalker and says, I need someone to show me my place in all of this. It's the second best line of the film. <laughs> I need someone to show me my place in all of this. It's a line that raises two existential questions that every human being has to grapple with at one and perhaps many points along the way. And the first is, is there something bigger going on? Some rhyme or reason to the universe? And the second, if there is, do I have a part in it? Does my life matter in the grand scheme of things? And now every one of us, at, at various times in our lives, we feel the weight of those two questions. We feel them even as kids, when some well-meaning adult leans over and says, well, little man or young lady, what do you want to be when you grow up? And whether we answer a baseball player or a brain surgeon, we're, we get the sense at an early age that we should be doing something with our lives. Is there something going on out there, and does my life matter? We feel the weight of those questions at many points in our lives. We feel them again as young people when we're trying to choose a university to go to, or a major, or an occupation. We feel them when we go out to look for our first job, or maybe our second, or our third job. We feel it when we set our career on hold to attend to family or personal needs. We feel it again when, when kids leave the home and, and the house and the calendar isn't nearly as full as it used to be. We feel it at retirement. We feel it in our later years. Is, is there something going on out there? And does my life matter? 
We believe the answer to both of those questions is an emphatic yes. Yes, there is something bigger going on out there, and yes, you have a part to play, a part that only you can play. We call it your go. Your unique contribution to God's work in the world for this season of your life. And finding that go, finding your go, is what this series has been all about. Your place in God's world. And it begins with knowing your why, the purpose of your life. We learned that God made us, saved us, shaped us, and placed us here to do something good with our lives. We talked about knowing your what. That has to do with the activities of our lives, our tasks, our relationships, the many roles we fulfill, the things that are right in front of us. We talked about knowing your who, who you are and who you're not. It's your identity, being comfortable with who you are and who you're not in Christ. And then we, last week, we talked about knowing your where, and that has to do with location. Your where is your front line. It's the place or places where you engage a fallen world and seeking people, and it certainly includes the places that you work. Well, today we're going to round out the series by knowing your when, and that has to do with the season or situation of your life. Someone pointed out after the last service that if you track it down, it spells pales. I don't know if that helps you remember anything, but <laughs> I probably could have come up with something catchier than that if I'd been trying. But today we're going to discover that your go isn't something you do someday when life settles down or when you get all your ducks in a row or when you reach some level of spiritual maturity. Your go begins today, right now, where you are in this current season and situation of your life. By the time we're done, we hope you're going to be ready to take some of your next steps towards finding and fulfilling your go. So let's go one more time to the book of Ephesians, a letter that Paul wrote, and uh, we'll be working in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. As we pointed out, Paul's writing a letter from prison to his friends, Christians, and churches in the region of Ephesus. And he begins this letter with this great doxology, praising God for his work in the universe through Jesus Christ. But having finished this bit of praise, he then shifts to a season of intercession where he prays for them. And we get to listen in as Paul prays for his friends in Christ. Let's begin at verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So we can hear Paul's pastoral heart coming through here. He has a genuine love for these people, many of them he knows from the time that he spent in the region of Ephesus. And as he sits in prison, and as their names and faces scroll across his imagination, he smiles, and his heart is warmed, and he gives thanks for, for their, their strong faith and their deep love. And this, this is what pastors do. This is what spiritual leaders do. They pray for the people they serve or lead for their congregations. And I hope you know that your leaders here pray for you. 
Every Thursday afternoon at 3 o'clock, most of us on staff stop whatever we're doing. And we maybe grab a few folks who might be working in the office nearby. And we, and we pause and we pray. We pray for the upcoming weekend and week of ministry. And we pray for those of you we know of who are going through particular challenges or, or needy situations every Thursday. Some of the elders do a similar thing on Wednesday mornings, gathering by conference call early in the morning, and we pray. Each week, we read the names of 50 people off our households, off our church roster. And I can tell you, as those names are read, and your names and faces and stories come to mind, it brings a smile to our face often and warms our hearts as we think about your love and your faithfulness, some of you for many, many decades here at Grace, others of you new to the story, some of you going through difficult times. This is what spiritual leaders do. They pray for their people, and it, it leads to thanks, and it does here. But notice that Paul doesn't stop with thanksgiving. He goes on to ask God for something more for his, his friends. Verse 17. He says, I keep on asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. As grateful as Paul is for their faith in Christ and their love for one another, he wants something more for them. He wants them to grow deeper in their faith and stronger in their love. He wants them to know Christ. That word know that he uses there, it's not a word for head knowledge. It's a word for experiential knowledge. If I say to one of my kids, hey, do you know how to fix my phone? I don't want them to just say yes. I want them to fix the phone. <laughs> and that's what Paul's saying here. I just don't want you to know Christ. I want you to live Christ, to live out this faith, live out this love in everyday practical ways. And as we pray for you, as we pray for ourselves, we pray that as well too. Pray that we all might be growing in our faith and our love, that we might be discovering what we call life with God, experiencing life with God. But Paul doesn't stop there either. He prays for something else. He prays that they would actually begin to fulfill the mission God has for them. Pick it up at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So there's our word, calling, again. Shows up several times in this letter. If you remember, we defined calling as a combination of relationship and purpose. When you call someone on the phone or across the room, you don't want to just get their attention. You, you want them to do something with you or for you or vice versa. There's a reason you're calling them. And so when God calls us, he's not just calling us to a relationship with him to know him. He's calling us to do something with him and for him. So Paul's prayer for these friends in Christ is that with the eyes of their heart, they might see what God is doing in the world and the part that he wants them to play. He wants them to have hope and bring hope to the world. He wants them to receive and share the riches of Christ. He wants them to experience resurrection power in their everyday lives. 
And as we pray for you and for ourselves, we pray for the same things. Not just thanks for what Christ has done, not just prayer that we grow in our faith, but prayer that we actually take that faith to the world around. That, that we grow in Christ, not just for our own sake, but for the good of the world. For the good of the world. Listen to how Paul finishes the prayer. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul wants his readers and he wants us to understand that God is up to something big. And the resurrection of Christ is the proof of that. And he wants our lives and our homes and our churches and our communities and our city and the world to be filled to overflowing with the presence of Christ. And that's why he put us here. That's why he made us and shaped us and placed us so that we might be and bring the presence of Christ to our corner of the world. So back to that existential question. Is there something bigger going on? You better believe there is. It is God's great story. And if we had time, we could unpack this whole book of Ephesians and find this grand story. It's the great story that's being told all the way through the scriptures. A story that we often tell in four acts. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Four acts. God's great story begins with creation. God made something out of nothing. Then he filled that something with life and beauty and goodness. And then he put us there in the middle of that something, men and women. And he told us to fill it even more, to make more life, make more beauty, make more goodness. Fill the earth, he said, with the glory of God, creation. But we fell short of God's good intentions, way short. We rejected his love and we rejected his purpose. We decided to do things our way instead of his way. We decided to make our name great rather than his name great. And as a result, this world just doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, the fall. And God let us go. He let us go our own way. But he never gave up on us. He kept calling us back to himself. And when the time was right, he sent his son to redeem us, to bring us back. He sent Jesus to show us the kind of people we were meant to be, and then to conquer evil and death by his death and his resurrection. And one day, that redemption will be complete, and heaven and earth will be restored not just to its original splendor, but to the splendor God had in mind when he began it in the first place, when it would be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God in Christ. Now, we don't know when that's going to happen and how it's going to happen, but we know that history is his story. The human experience is moving in a direction, and it's leading us to the day when God puts all things the way they were meant to be in Christ. And so back to our second question. 
Or back to both of them. Is there something bigger going on? Yes, it is God's great story. And do you have a part to play in it? Yes, you do. We all do, every single one of us. And helping us to find our, that part, helping us play that part, that's what this series has been about. Because let's face it, it is easy for us sometimes to lose heart. For the eyes of our heart to get dimmed or discouraged or distracted. We get discouraged by our lack of progress in becoming the people we want to be or making the world we want to live in. We get discouraged. We get distracted by the cares of everyday life, managing all the different aspects of, of life. We get focused on our own agendas and our own needs and plans and lose sight of the big picture. And so if we're not careful, we find ourselves tempted just to give up on the big picture and to settle for something far less. And our heroine, Ray, comes to a moment like that in this film. She answers that call. She joins the resistance. They engage the enemy, but soon it looks as though it's a losing battle. And towards the end of the fight, end of the, end of the film, Ray finds herself face to face with her nemesis, Kylo Ren. And he seems to have the upper hand. And he tries to persuade her to join him, to come over to the dark side. He tries to break her spirit, suggesting that her parents were nobodies and that they just simply abandoned her. He says to her, you have no place in this story. You come from nowhere. You are nobody. It's one of the big moments in the film. Because all along, we've been wondering, who is Ray? We thought she was somebody, and that maybe her parents were somebody. Jedi, knights, perhaps. Could it be that she really is a nobody from nowhere? And that she has no part in the story? Or could it be that even nobodies from nowhere have a part in the story? See, we don't really know. We don't know what the filmmaker is trying to say. That's how one critic is understanding it. He puts it this way. It's the revelation that any person might play a pivotal role in the story. Now, is that what the filmmaker's trying to say? We don't know. We've got to wait till the next one to come out in May of 2019 or something like that. I don't know what the filmmaker's trying to say, but I do know what Paul is trying to say. That any person has a pivotal role to play in the story. Even nobody's from nowhere. He wants us to see that God is up to something big and that each one of us has a part to play if and when we say yes to the call. So let's talk for a minute about knowing your when. Let's take a look at the great story once again. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. As you look at that picture, let me ask you, when are we living 
when in that scheme do we find ourselves? We're living in the transition between redemption and restoration. We're living in what the Bible calls the last days of redemption. Because the kingdom came with Christ and his rule was inaugurated at his resurrection. But that kingdom has yet to come in its fullness. It's here like a seed. It's growing like a tree, but it has yet to reach its fullness and all the fruitfulness that God intended. And our calling, our place in this world and that story is to help bring that fullness, to grow that kingdom right now, right where we are, whoever we are with whatever we have. There's a way right now today to live out your calling. And that's why Paul prays with such passion here. For this reason, he says, I have not stopped praying for you. And it's why later on in the letter, he writes, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you, Paul says, now's the time. Today's the day. Don't miss it. Today's the day to hear and answer God's call. Now I realize as we come towards the end of this series here that some of you may well be saying, Pastor, this all sounds wonderful and grand, but you have no idea what my life looks like right now. How crazy things are or how difficult things are. I'm barely making it and you're talking to me about fulfilling some grand mission? Mission? And you're right, I don't know what your circumstances are right now. And, and I don't in any way want to minimize the difficulties you're experiencing. I simply want to remind all of us that Paul is praying this prayer and writing these words as a prisoner. He's in jail, probably chained up. He can't travel. He can't preach. He can't see his friends. He can't plant new churches. He can't train and develop new leaders. And he has a death sentence hanging over his head. He had every reason to want to give up. But he realized he could still write letters to his friends in Ephesus and other places. He could still mentor the young leaders who came to visit him in prison. He could still pray for these people that he loved. He could bring God's presence to his prison, to the fellow prisoners, to the guards who watched him 24 hours a day. And if the time came, he could and would stand before the governor and proclaim the good news of Christ. So even in this dark, difficult season of his life, Paul lived a life worthy of the calling he had received. And so can you, so can we. Wherever we are, whatever is happening, however happy or sad or abundant or meager this particular season of life is, there's a way for you to live out your call in the power of the Spirit and the power of the resurrected Christ. Your when is today. And so following the call means saying yes to God's greater story for this season of your life. 
Whatever that season looks like right now, following the call is believing that God is doing something even greater in and through you in this season. So as we bring this series to a close, let me offer you some next steps towards finding your go. The first is to use the GPS tool, which we have designed for you. We've talked about once or twice along the way. It's designed to help you answer the who, what, where, when, and why questions. Remember, your gifts are your, your, your natural talents, your spiritual gifts, the skills you acquire through experience and work and education and training your skills. Your passions are the things that, that bring you joy or the things that break your heart or the things that burden you. And then your season is simply the situation in which you find yourself, the circumstances of your life. It could be your age. It involves your health, your family status and commitments, your working life. And the GPS tool is designed to help you think through those gifts and passions and, and season. And chances are, as you do that, there will be a sweet spot in the middle where the three of these converge. And that's where you're likely to hear God's call on your life in particular for this particular season of your life. So you can find that GPS tool on our website. Go to the, uh, the banner for this series. Go to the banner for the Go course. Or you can just go to grace.org slash GPS and find it. Second step is to take the Go course. This is a course that we have custom designed to help us find and fulfill our go. It will dig deeper into some of the topics we've talked about here in this series. And by the time you're done with that course, you should be more than ready to go. So that course is beginning today in Lexington. It's coming to other campuses later on this spring. Third, have a conversation. Talk to someone you know and trust about some of these things a friend, a spouse, your small group, talk to a pastor. We would love to have conversations with hundreds of you about this. Because often other people can see something in you that you can't see. And usually it's good. Usually it's good. Fourthly, write something down. It can be very helpful to try to put some thoughts into words. One suggestion is to simply write the words who, what, where, when, and why down a piece of paper and just Jot some bullet points down beside each one and see what kind of comes out of all that. And then finally, do something. You can't steer a car that's standing still. So if you're asking God to guide you, get moving. Find a place to serve in the church or out the, outside of the church. There's always places to serve on any of our campuses. Kidstown is a great place to start. Later on this uh, season, we have winter blast coming up and then spring serve. These are great one-off opportunities to begin doing something. Maybe your life community would like to begin finding a way to serve. We have grassroots ministries. So if you're feeling burdened or passionate about, about refugees or about human trafficking or about the sanctity of life or about foster and adoption, then we have groups of people who are beginning to mobilize around those causes. So having explained all of that, I'd like to finish up with one more story of some Grace Chapel folks who are beginning to find their go. 
And I think by hearing their story, it might help you connect the dots in your story as well. So I'm going to call them Dave and Sarah. The story begins early in their lives, before they met each other and before they met the Lord. It actually begins for Dave in his childhood, as he remembers growing up in a neighborhood where there was a family in the neighborhood that used to have children come and live with them for short or long periods of time. Now, as a kid, he didn't understand anything about foster care, but he just thought it was pretty cool the way these kids could just kind of come in and move into his friend's house and become part of the neighborhood. And even as a kid, he remembers wondering if it would be exciting to do that someday. Now, meanwhile, Sarah's growing up in a far, far away place in a different kind of a neighborhood and culture where that sort of thing just wasn't done. But from the time she was young, she enjoyed children. And she began to dream about working with children someday when she grew up, maybe as a nurse or as a nanny or as a teacher. Well, Dave went off to university to study engineering, and that's where he discovered a relationship with Christ. Sarah, meanwhile, studied education. And after she graduated, she took a job as a, as a, a nanny right here in the Boston area. They ended up meeting at Grace Chapel in the young adults group many years ago. Now, Sarah wasn't a believer at the time, but they kind of hit it off. And soon she came to faith in Christ, and soon after that they were married and started a family. Well, as their children began to grow, they decided they might as well help, and they jumped in and started serving in Kidstown, investing in the spiritual development of their own children, but also other children in their church family. Sarah found that very satisfying, so as the kids got a little older, she decided to begin doing that professionally, and so she took a job teaching in a local preschool. And so it seemed that their lives and their work was beginning to revolve around children, about nurturing them in life and faith. But Dave had never really forgotten his childhood experience, and every once in a while he brought up the idea of fostering some children as a way of sharing the goodness that they enjoyed as a family. And it wasn't something that Sarah felt comfortable with or called to. And since they already had a house full of kids, they decided just to let it go. Well, one day, Sarah was at the grocery store, and standing in the checkout line, her eyes drifted to newspapers in a stand right next to her, and a headline caught her eye. Massachusetts needs foster parents. And in that moment, she sensed the Lord saying to her, this is for you. This is for you. Now, nothing like that had ever happened to her before. And this was not anywhere near the forefront of her mind. But she was sure it was God speaking to her. She went home and told Dave all about it. Make a long story short, a few months later, they were licensed by the Commonwealth. And for the past dozen or so years, they have been welcoming children into their home for short and long periods of time, helping families to be reunited. And along the way, they've adopted two of those children as well. It's been a family decision, they said. It's just become our way of serving God and the world. And it can be pretty crazy sometimes, as you can imagine, and difficult and even scary. But this is what their life is all about these days. This is their front line in their home, at church, at work, and in their broader community. 
I think Dave and Sarah have found their go, their place in God's world. What I like about the story is the way it brings together all the different pieces, their childhood dreams and experiences, their, their spiritual gifts of mercy and teaching, their professional skills as teachers and as managers, their heart for Christ's gospel and for his church as well. Dave and Sarah know who they are and who they're not. They're not hard-charging leaders. They're not public speakers. They wanted nothing to do with getting up here and telling their story. <laughs> but they are playing a pivotal role in God's unfolding story in the lives of many, many children and a church and a community. Now, who knows? They don't know what the next season will look like. Does it mean more children into their home? Does it mean they begin mentoring other foster families? Or does God have something entirely different in mind for the next chapter? They're not worried about it. They're just answering his call right now, which is to nurture children in life and faith in every area of their lives. They found their go, and it has brought them and many others great joy. So is there something bigger going on? You better believe it. And do you have a part to play in it? You better believe that too. Following the call means saying yes to God's greater story for this season of your life. And if you have never done that, if you've never said yes to God's call on your life, you can do that today saying yes to his love and his purpose, his forgiveness and his freedom, and begin living in newness of life. If you've said yes, then what is your next step to finding and fulfilling your go? We're going to have an opportunity to say yes in just a few minutes as we come to the communion table together. But before we do that, your spiritual leaders here at Grace, your pastoral and ministry staff team, we would like to pray for you. In the spirit of the Apostle Paul, we'd like to pray for you and bless you and commission you. Because we know that in a few minutes, you're going to head out these doors and you're going to go off to your front line. And some of those places are challenging and difficult and lonely. You're going places most of us will not go. And our work, our calling, is to equip you, to encourage you, and yes, to pray for you. So we've crafted a prayer that we'd like to offer to you and for you today. And then we'll come together around the communion table. So would you all stand where you are on all of our campuses, all of our venues. If you're in your living room, stand up. And we'd like you simply to receive this prayer on behalf of the Grace Chapel family, pastors. To my fellow ministers of the gospel, called by God to serve him on the front lines of the kingdom, in the home, in the workplace, in the public square, in the neighborhood, and in the church. You are commissioned in Jesus' name to go, today and always, to go, to love and serve the Lord, to serve the common good, to cultivate Christ-like character, to do really good work, to know what's right and to do what's right, to build up the body of Christ 
and raise up the next generation of Christ followers to stand for the vulnerable, to fight for the oppressed, to strengthen families, to enrich neighborhoods, to welcome strangers, to bless the nations, and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. May you know that God has called you, that God is with you, that God has empowered you as you are where you are for such a time as this. And may you arrange the rhythms of your life so that you may live and move and find your being in God. May you listen to his voice and respond to his calling with boldness and courage and compassion. It is for this purpose that you were created. And may God's kingdom come and his will be done in your heart and your home, in your relationships, in your work and your city and in this world. We pray all this for God's glory, for the good of the world, and for our great joy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. amen.